0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Scottish Libertarians podcast. It's the 2nd of June. I'm Anthony Samroth, and I'm here with my co-host Tom Laird. Hi. And we're going to deconstruct the news from a liberty perspective. We're going to have to, uh,
1: I think in the future if we're going to have a great day like it is, we're going to have to figure out some way of doing an outside the. it's a podcast so I can enjoy uh, the great weather while I'm while I'm pontificating so uh, <laughs> very rare to have such good weather in scotland <laughs> yeah. so let's uh, let's hopefully we're not going to do that american thing where we use each other's name every 2 seconds you know we could go, well Anthony, what do you think of that well tom <laughs> could tom could you tell us what you think of this well Anthony, i'm glad you asked <laughs> Okay, so I think we're going to kick off with um, the cigarettes uh, sort of fiasco. It's getting worse and worse. I mean, I'm not a smoker, uh, personally, I can't stand it, but I'm, I'm all for everybody else's right to do it if they want. And the latest uh, fit of madness from the government is they're going to, for some bizarre reason, not only to
0: themselves, they're going to ban uh is it 10 packs? Yeah, they're going to ban 10 packs and small pouches of tobacco. Um, you know that expression, smoke if you got him"? Yeah, I've heard that. That's exactly what people do. And um, if people are forced to only buy 20 packs of tobacco, yeah, uh, cigarettes, then, they, oh, well, I've got loads. I'm just going to have another cigarette. So I don't understand what it's meant to achieve or who it's meant to help. No, I, I don't get that either. It's I mean The idea that, that people
1: who smoke will, will suddenly smoke less because they can only buy more things in a packet. Uh, I mean, I, I don't smoke, so I guess I don't know, but in terms of drinking, um, I, I, I go to a pub that serves only schooners, like so it's like a half pint. But They used to serve pints, and from their point of view, uh, I don't know what the, their, their thinking was, but it's not good for them, it's actually good for me because I actually drink less with the smaller the smaller schooner because it's a psychological thing I look at the, the glass and um, because there's less in it I drink slower because I, want, I kind of want to preserve what I've got where it was a pint, I used to just neck it down so I don't know if there's any empirical evidence as to why that should work uh, but it just seemed to so I think they're going to shoot themselves in the foot um, by making, if the idea is to make people smoke less I really don't see how that's going to work by making the the, the, the cigarette or or by stopping people from buying smaller packets of cigarettes. It seems to be uh, counterintuitive to me. Because then sometimes the counterintuitive thing works. But even, let's let's for a moment assume that it does work. So what? Right, people should if, if I yeah. if I want to smoke yeah. more cigarettes, why shouldn't we? But if I want to buy a packet of fifty, or I want to buy a packet of five, if I wanna buy if I want to go to a shop and buy one single cigarette, I should be able to do that yeah, if I want that, if the guy wants to sell me a stay. single
0: cigarette. It's it's the greater principle at stake. Um even first of all there's according to the article in the Scotsman that I got this story from uh, more Razak, the law of unintended consequences hits hard. Um, no, health advocates are actually supporting this policy. It's basically virtue signaling by okay. the, by the, the government. yeah by the government. Now we've seen so many assaults on smokers going back to the smoking ban indoors, which you can see mm. even from a libertarian. In perspective, ish an argument against that? Well, you know, you're infringing on my person, or, or something like that. Yeah. I am not sure that I agree with that. But, I, I, I but would you could make a case. You someone can make a case for it. More recently, they've made it impossible to actually see the price or the brands of tobaccos yeah. that they've got in any newsagent or shop. They hide the cigarettes behind a metal railing. Now. Call me a cynic or a conspiracy theorist, but who does that benefit apart from the established brands? Mm. Everyone knows that Marlboro exists. Everyone knows that Mayfair exists or uh, Benson & Hedges or whatever. If you are a small, uh, a new tobacco company, you could be the fair trade tobacco company, the organic one, the ethical one, you know, that doesn't use any chemicals and has... has modified the tobacco to be less harmful and doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides uh, and you pay your your workers higher wages than the the standard wage in their country, you would not be able to break into the market because no one would be able to see that your brand exists. It's illegal to advertise. Plus, when you add the amount of tax on tobacco, there are additive-free brands, there are organic brands, that are already more expensive to buy, so by putting so much tax on the tobacco, you're making those brands less affordable. People could could afford to make healthier choices. So this idea of just banning people buying 10-packs is really just the latest in a slew of regulations against an easy target. Because everyone agrees that smoking is bad for you. You know, you see you see that on the smoking packet, on the warning it says, smoking can clog up your arteries. Well, so does animal fat. But they don't put a big warning on every carton of milk that says... They says,
1: don't, but perhaps they'll get round to it because they're kind of already making signals in that direction. But when I mean, they're already talking about, sh- you know, for sugar, uh, sugar right. content and things and doing that. So, but I mean, what would a... What would a package of anything look like eventually if you had to put a specific warning about every single thing that may or may not cause you uh, harm that's in it? It was like the packaging. You, you know, the packaging would be like much bigger than the than the thing that you're buying. You know, uh,
0: in yeah. order to get all the warnings on there. I have a sort of image of that movie. They Live, when he puts the glasses on and all yeah. he says is "sees obey" and everything's all white and yeah. and op- and bleak. Uh, that's what all our packaging is going to be like. Exactly. Just why? Oh, you're not allowed to have fancy packaging because that's manipulating people into yeah. buying your product. So we'll just have plain packaging on everything that says the ingredients, what it is, milk, and then all the risks of it. Yeah. And um, essentially, at the end of the day, you know, it's your body. If you want to smoke, that's your choice. Um. We do have an argument that obviously we have a national health service at the moment, so it's risky to that. But I think that smokers are paying enough tax on to offset, to, that. To offset that. And in fact, yeah, I mean, um, there's lots of things that we could be taxing, we could be putting in plain packaging and so forth. But tobacco doesn't, is just an easy target. Doesn't it also mean an unintended consequence of this
1: could be People will go back to. Uh, I mean, it, it was happening for a while already. People were getting black market cigarettes from yeah. you know van loads of cigarettes were coming in from from the EU and from further afield uh, where people could buy them cheaply and sell and, and sell them here, uh, and then that way, there's no tax actually getting paid. On the, on the cigarettes that people are buying I mean, people will find a way around it yeah. i mean my granddad for crying out loud used to smoke tea leaves drying them out and smoke them you know just so he could get the feeling of a hit when he didn't have any when he couldn't afford any cigarettes so i, I really i think it's counterproductive and at the end of the day it's just more liberal it's a liberal it's, it's more nanny state uh, nanny knows best uh, Kind of thing. My, so, you know, people complain about well, it's a it's a, it's a strain on the NHS. Great, uh, dare I say it, my solution to that: get rid of a, a government-funded national health service. If you want health, to, you know, you would have to pay a premium. If you went to a private company for health uh, care, they would ask you, "Do you smoke? How, How much, much do you, do you smoke? smoke? You know, uh,
0: and you, the, what they would charge you for health care for your insurance would, so would they, reflect they that. They would encourage you to those incentives would encourage people to take better care of themselves yeah. instead of um I mean you could lie to do a damage control after yeah. the fact. If you could lie if you would lie but you'd get yeah. caught out and then and then, you know, and then you'd you your contract would, yeah, be, your null contract would be null contract would and you have to pay for it out of your own pocket. Yeah. So we can cover that in more detail yeah. on another show.
1: Yeah. What else has been in the news? Well I want to touch briefly on the Brexit. Um, Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard, and and by the way, I'm actually a huge fan of Eddie Izzard. Yeah, I think uh, he's, he's a really funny guy. You
0: should stick to comedy. I think he should
1: stick to comedy. When he when he comes out uh, with um with his sort of political uh, utterings, they're very rarely uh, get any substance to them. No. You know, uh, he's kind of this. He just thinks he's being virtuous.
0: He's kind of like a guardian. Figure if the if the guard he has the kind of politics that people who read the Guardian in general have. Yeah. Particularly, you know, PhD students at the University of Glasgow who are lecturing a seminar in theatre studies.
1: Yeah, totally, and I mean, like I said, I mean, I've got a lot of admiration for him in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he's he, he's tough as old boots. Like he does, he does all these like marathons and super marathons. Yeah, and
0: he raises money for and, causes and
1: things like. Yeah, that. it's all good, but when he starts talking about, I mean, like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm now starting. I had the article actually ready, and now I can't. I'm struggling to find it in the newspaper, which is always a, a pain in the ass.
0: You never yeah. really were very good at reading,
1: were you? No, I wasn't. So, is is that that I have I, have I even gotten this the right strength. way up? So basically what he what he's saying is like, uh, he's, he's, he's jumping on the, the, the fearmongering bandwagon. All sorts of things are going to happen to us if we leave the EU. You know, you're going to lose your job. Your house price is going to plummet through the floor, which is, the, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you're not on the property ladder, it's a, a, a bloody good thing. Um, you know, businesses are going to pull out of Britain giant rats are going to roam the street devouring your cherub-like children Uh, you know, you name it it's going to happen because we leave the EU you know what let's suppose even half of these stories were true so be it I think for me, liberty you know, give me liberty or give me death right give me liberty or give me death all I'm hearing from people uh, who who believe in staying in the EU is, well, give me liberty, but not if it means that my property price goes down. You know, um, give me liberty, but not if it means that uh, my wages don't go up. And I really have very little sympathy for that kind of... Um, attitude. I I really don't get it. You know, uh, these are the kind of of people who would, you know, if you threatened to take their, their, you know, John Lewis discount card off them, you know, they would tell the Gestapo everything. You know, they'd fold very quickly under interrogation, I think, with with very little threat. You know, we would, people who were actually prepared to die to get freedom and to get liberty and to be able to, to make their own decisions, and yet, we don't seem to be prepared to put up with a little economic discomfort. And that really depresses me. And it is
0: an illiberal institution. I mean, the totally. the lawmakers the commission are appointed. They're not elected. And the people who believe in democracy so much, or at least proclaimed to, are the first people to... Um, for the people who claim to be all for democracy are very pro-EU. And what I find the most striking is the people who are the most likely to be pro-EU were the most for Scottish independence, which just makes my mind boggle. Because whatever side of the political spectrum you were on, There was a good case to be made for and against Scottish independence. I'm really not seeing the case for staying in the EU beyond. Um, Oh, well, it's going to make it harder to travel. And all these little self-interested... And and I don't even see
1: why... That would necessarily be true. I and mean, in what way would it be harder to travel?
0: Um, There's a whole bunch of countries that aren't in the EU or aren't fully in the EU that have the same kind of rights. Um, I like the turn of phrase, in Europe but not governed by Europe. We are over-governed. We've yeah. got local council elections. We've got Scottish parliamentary elections. We've got Westminster elections. And we've got EU EU governance as well, and we do elect people to that, but um, the council that passes the policies is appointed. So I, I just think we're over governed, and the less, and we we don't need so many layers of government. Thankfully,
1: finally, I found this quote from uh, Eddie Izzard. Comedian Eddie Izzard has said that those who care about humanity and their and their finances, <laughs> it's a bit of a that's a strange couple of bedfellows. It's if you so care great. about humanity and your finances, like right, you know, well, I care about humanity as long as it doesn't affect my finances. Like, I mean, is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, should support the EU Remain campaign? Uh, Izzard, who's on tour with the Stand Up For Europe event, said yesterday in Edinburgh that Brexit campaigners have already lost the economic argument. Right. He also encouraged young people to register to vote. And he said, and and here we go again, he added, quote, from young people's point of view, has he actually spoke to every single one of them, right? I mean, and what is a young person? I mean, what age group is he talking about? Is he talking about nine years old, 10 years old, 16? What point do you stop being young?
0: Yeah, I and mean, um, with the technology that's coming out, yeah. you might live three
1: hundred. You're yeah. still so young. Tav. Well, exactly, I think I'm forty nine and forty nine years young. You know, I don't I don't see myself as necessarily being old, but even when I was one of the things I really hated when I was uh, when I was a, a teenager and even into my early twenties was politicians going, Oh Young people want this, and young people want that, and go. Well, you would never asked me. You know, I yeah, I don't. I don't identify with this view of young people and what we actually want. Young people are like old people, uh, black people, white people. Ever, there's not just one homogenous exactly. kind of viewpoint uh, for young people. So it really bugs me when when they try to be trendy well. and speak for young people.
0: I really don't buy the economic argument either. It looks like we're gonna to have to bail out Greece again. Yeah. And they're trying to get Turkey they're bribing Turkey with all sorts of money to make them fit to join yeah. the EU. And that is a country that's again, very illiberal and has got a far less developed economy and we're basically asking right, the the economic situation in any EU country is not fantastic compared to what it could be right now, but it's like we're taking blood out of the rich ones and pumping it into the yeah. poor ones and everyone every everyone's ending up with not enough blood circulating yeah. through their veins to to function i mean it's so unfair for Germany, who were mm-hmm. one of the most fiscally responsible countries yeah. to have to bail out countries that were simply irresponsible in their public spending. Today I was going down the street and the Scottish Socialist Party were out in force with, I couldn't believe it, man. Their signs said things like, vote to stay in the EU to change it from within. Vote to stay in the EU to make it better. And stuff like that. Obviously these were the same people who were campaigning to get out of the British Union. So what is this idea of staying in an irrational, irresponsible, undemocratic institution to change it from within i mean Mm. it's like going to the you know joining the mafia to try and change it into a charity it's like you know you come to the dawn and say dawn, you know i know you've got all these charity works that you do you know as fronts for our money laundering business yeah but can we please do a little bit less of the money laundering and a little bit more of the charity work that we do to launder the money, you know. Yeah, good Don luck with that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: And never, uh, I mean, like, even historically, you look at somebody like Martin Luther. Martin Luther tried to reform the Roman Catholic Church from within. That's what he tried to do. He had no intentions of actually causing a split and leaving it. He thought, all I have to do is come up with these ninety-nine theses, nail them at the Wittenberg door, and, you know, Everybody from the Pope down will go. Hey, Martin, those are some pretty snazzy ideas you've got there. We really take your point and we take it on board. Let's do that. No, they just kicked them out in the end and, uh, and carried on doing what they were doing because uh, that's just what they do. So I think this idea of, of changing the EU from within is just uh, it's just nonsensical. I've got I can I propose a solution though. Why don't people who want to be members of the EU be members? Individually,
0: that's you, such a great idea. Yeah, you
1: know, and you can have your little red passport, and you can, you know, when you're in, on holiday, you can laugh at me standing in the queue uh, for the for the non-EU members, that's right? Such a great idea. And you can just be waved through, while well, I'll have to go through the the entire boring twenty-minute or half an hour process of filling out a form and being asked a couple of questions. Uh, because they want to get me into the country to spend my money anyway. Um, But, yeah, you can have your little red passport. You can be a member of the EU and get all the, quote benefits of being in the EU, and you you can pay, in in the taxes. And I can get my little blue passport for a Scottish passport and not be a member of the EU, and, you know, and I can get the penalties and the benefits of not being in the EU, and then everybody, it's all consensual. It's all voluntary. I don't force you not to be a member of the EU, and you don't force me to be a member. I would think that's a great idea. I mean, we do it with all sorts of other institutions. I'd, I'd sign on to that. Yeah. So we're done. Yeah. Would I. yeah. Um, so. So are we, are we? Are we? Are we done with the, have e- you really got with the
0: EU I'm done with the EU. Sadly, it seems that a lot <laughs> the of EU people isn't aren't. Done with done. Done. I and do you know what? I almost never vote, but yeah. I'm voting out. Yeah. And this, I'm is the, voting this is out. the first time I've voted in like ten years. And and just
1: briefly on the on the EU-British thing, I think it, it, it's bizarre to see the SNP and UKIP just simply swap scripts on this. You know, uh, UKIP were telling us that independence and self-determination were a bad idea and it's always better to remain together and be part of a, a greater economic union for the benefit of all. Now, apparently, they're telling us that independence is a great idea. Uh, and we should be, have, you should be self-determinant and you shouldn't be part of a greater economic union. You don't need it. You can stand on your own two feet. The SNP, conversely, have spent the last 40 years telling us that independence is a fantastic idea. Now they're telling us that independence is an insane idea, uh, roughly equivalent to sticking your cock in a toaster. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. At what point they just simply swapped scripts? Uh, but it's it, it's it's the worst kind of Orwellian doublethink, uh, and I don't understand it. Perhaps perhaps somebody out there who's listening to this podcast. Could probably uh, make a try and make a decent fist of explaining why those two parties now uh, have swapped scripts and are now arguing each other's cases. Does this cases.
0: mean that the SNP are a right-wing party and that UKIP are a left-wing party? I really don't know. It's
1: probably a meaningless concept in yeah, terms I, of the of terms of the of the whole Brexit yeah, campaign. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, we've so got so one s- more story. One more story. Okay, this is the. Um, the story of the little boy, uh, William. This Liam. is the
0: story oh, all about, yeah.
1: <laughs> this is just, yeah, no, that's, sorry, it's, 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 a bit right? it's a bit sorry. inappropriate, sorry. But, but let's uh, let's, uh <laughs> let's, let's let's go on with it. Uh, the little boy killed by his parents, Rachel Trelfa, 31, and her partner Naomi Fee, 39, uh, were looking after this little boy. One of them, I think, was the natural parent and the other one was the partner of the said natural parent. And they subjected this kid to a, a torrent of horrific uh, physical abuse until eventually he, he died of it. Um, and uh, now Nicola Sturgeon's waded into it and said that, uh, you know, it's obviously sh- it's shocking and horrific. But she's uh, I think the SNP are going to use this as a further... Uh, backup and further reason as to why their named person mm-hmm. legislation is a good thing and it should go ahead mm-hmm. however it's worth pointing out that a pilot scheme uh, the scottish government's plan named person initiative was running in fife uh, when this little boy died um, so you know it didn't it didn't actually prevent this even though the named person scheme was up and running in Fife. so i think what i want to touch on what i want to ask and throw out there is at what point i mean kids can't really defend themselves like an adult. They can't just walk out the door. Maybe they should be allowed to be to, to run away. We should, why should we return runaway kids to their parents? If the parents? If the kid has run away, it's got a reason for it. Uh, if it's able to fend for itself when it runs away, uh, then it clearly can look after itself. So why send it back to its parents? I don't know. There's all sorts of questions. But kids can't take care of themselves. At what point does the government have a responsibility to step in how should it do it and what should it do? Those are important questions.
0: And okay. that's a great place to finish the podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll I'd like we'll discuss them next time. <laughs> I'd like you to first define what the Named Person Scheme is so we can have a okay at that point. As, as I understand it,
1: and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who will correct me if I'm wrong, um, as I understand the Named Person Scheme, every child born in Scotland uh, will have a a nominated state nominated person to look after them so if you get married anytime soon or i get married and i have a kid or if my my daughter my daughter's 23 she's with her partner if they have a child that child under this scheme will have a named person either a social worker a policeman uh uh, because obviously all these people are trustworthy. Mm. You know, ordinary people. I mean, if you're a brickie or a, <laughs> or, or I don't know but what else, you know, a juggler or an acrobat, you're not a suitable person to be a named person to look after a child. But if you're a social worker, a policeman, or somebody who's quite governmenty, you will be a worthy person and trustworthy to be able to take care of a child. you will be basically the third parent. Mm-hmm. The state will be the third parent in your family. This is this is what we're looking at so from it, the get go. Right. So you're guilty. You're you're under suspicion from the minute that you have a, a child, child right. of being a diddler.
0: And right? of course, <laughs> on the face of it, it seems benign. It seems like oh, we're just making sure that we have another person to look. Yeah, because don't you know what's for the children, right? Exactly. And the children are the future. Right? If the children are the future, why do we give them such rubbish education? And uh, well, that's for why, another podcast. <laughs> why? Why are they the only people in society that you're allowed to physically hit without? Uh, so um, yeah, yeah. There's loads of so. Basically, it sounds benign. It sounds like we're doing something to help children, but. Um, The thing is, all of those people, first of all, they're being asked to take on an additional role without uh, being remunerated from it and also it makes it very, very difficult for when there are cases of abuse for the resources to be allocated appropriately. You're going to have um, situations where the headmaster of the school or headmistress is the named person Mm -hmm. for children right and if the parents have a problem with how that school is educating their child yeah if they've been unfairly treated by teachers and they're coming in and they're trying to reform. They're on the PTA, and they're trying to reform the school to improve the standard of education. The the teacher can actually turn around. Uh, well, the the named person can turn around and report them to social work and say they're unscrupulous. There, yeah. There's all sorts of implications for well, that. Of course, there is. I mean, there's
1: already a school of uh, atheistic thought, for example, that says that teaching your child about God or teaching your, or giving your kid some sort of religious uh, indoctrination. As a form of child abuse. Uh, that's that's how they would see it. Now, they can make a case. That's, that's, that's another discussion for another time. But uh, if you can do that, then what about political viewpoints? Yes. I mean, if you don't you do indoctrinate your child into libertarianism and you tell the child that the government should not be trusted and the government should always be questioned, is that a form of child abuse?
0: Did you know that uh, Thomas Jefferson believed that schools should do that? Thomas Jefferson believed yeah. that schools should indoctrinate kids he was fairly he was fairly libertarian yeah. uh, on most issues yeah. but he did believe that schools should indoctrinate children into li- but it wasn't called libertarianism at the time
1: right but basically the the the, the school should teach children to to to, to question authority to be libertarians okay uh, i'm not sure about that one uh, you but, can
0: you can look it up. Uh,
1: but sorry, yeah, sorry but so anyway, do, so that it's, do, do, it's really could we could, could we get what at what point should the in a, in a minarchist uh, situation where government is there to protect the rights of the individual, okay? Uh, at what point should government get involved uh, in in taking children away from parents or protecting children from parents? Which was up, which is up to, including to removing the child from the parents.
0: I think this kind of highlights the difficulty of why government is bad, actually, at coming to conclusions. Mm. Because, as free marketeers, right, we are very different from the left or the right. Yeah. Because the left say, right, we'll get some intellectuals in power, and they'll choose. Right, and so do the right to a large degree, except for they they say they say that when it comes to people's individual morality and their yeah. personal life, like they, they believe there is a role for the state to make people virtuous. Mm. The right, whereas the left think, you know, in terms of policy, how would you do that? How would
1: you make people virtuous? I don't know, but.
0: Um, I think it's incidental. to the point I'm making, okay. the left will say, right, we need a, a clever policymaker or a committee of policymakers to make the policy, whereas as free marketeers in every wing of society we get a whole bunch of trial and error, and we don't believe that the intellectuals in government are going to come up with a better solution than the free market is, because they are limited. And in fact, the most intellectual people, the best people at deciding policy are not going to be in government. They're going to be largely in corporations trying out ideas and trying to make a profit from them. The best ideas will win out over time and and more people will accept the better product, which is why you don't need central planning and you don't need a central policy. The difficulty of reaching a conclusion on when the government should intervene just is a perfect... I mean, it's completely arbitrary. There's your opinion and there's my opinion, right? (laughs) I think that that parents should be allowed to spike their children. But most people, I think over 50% of parents in this country still do. Yeah. So I think that's a violation of the non-aggression principle. But how am I going to enforce that in a country where most people don't agree with me? Hmm. So... There is a sort of, arbit- should you be be able to bring up your, your child a Christian? Maybe. Should yeah. you be able to teach them that the earth's flat? Mm. Probably not. Do you know what I mean? So how, wait, where's the line? And how can one intellectual, whether it's me or you, choose where that line is? We, yeah. You know, it just shows the, it's how the free market arrives at better ideas because there's trial and error. So mm. that's my view.
1: Okay, I mean, it's it's a difficult one for me. I mean, clearly, uh, I mean, I don't know. For me, the, I'm, what I'm baffled is the whole social work aspect of it. Uh, it's that like if there's a case, I if a child is being violently assaulted, uh, and I know we could go into the whole spanking thing here, but you know, it's just clearly out of order. You know, there's bruises, there's you know, there's there's, there's lesions, there's burns, there's all sorts. Then there's there's an assaulting place. Surely that's that's beyond social work. That's a mm-hmm. that's a police matter.
0: Right. Right. So so we've already got some sort of guidelines on the yeah. common law yeah. for what is assault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You shouldn't be able to assault a child. Yeah. Um I guess it would be really interesting to see if we get any comments on, on YouTube. On, on the podcast to see okay. where other people think the line should be drawn. I think we've had quite a yeah uh, animated discussion. I'm really proud of this for a first episode. So yeah, I mean, that, it's quite that last one's quite a big
1: subject, and it's more than even the whole fifteen minutes or the whole twenty minutes could actually do justice to. But
0: yeah, I and mean,
1: we perhaps will maybe do a whole uh, podcast just on that one subject at, at some point.
0: So, yeah, I guess uh, people can tell us if they'd enjoy that and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and deliver. And I'd so, and, and love to get some facility to be able to take a phone in as well. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That would be awesome. So let us know what you think. This is the first time we've done this. I'd like to hear if you'd like to hear more. And is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Yeah, I'd just like to say you kids be cool. Yeah. <laughs> be libertarians. Don't be a lefty or a righty.